0: Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right, well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Hey. It's good to see you and welcome you to Canyon Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online for our live stream service. We're glad that you're tuning in for the fourth week of the year and the fourth week of this new series that we're in. I guess it's not really new anymore, but it's called Reset. And I always love the beginning of the year because I love the idea of having a, a fresh start and a clean slate and a new beginning and a new season of life to move into. But I always remind myself that there's nothing magical about it, right? There's nothing magical about a new year. It's just another day. It's just another week. And a lot of us, we come into a new year and we sit down at the beginning of the year, maybe right before the year, and we start envisioning what this year is going to be like. And we make resolutions and we make goals and we make commitments and we're going to fix it all and everything's going to be great. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to budget. It's going to be the best year of my life. This is what we do. And before too long, maybe the first few days of the year, the first few weeks, the first month or two, something happens and it absolutely rocks our world. Something happens and it's not what you had planned for this new year. Maybe you got sick, maybe you lost lost your job, maybe you, you lost someone that you love, some sort of tragedy, maybe it's something with your health, you got some bad news, whatever it is, something happens and it seems to ruin this perfect new year that we envisioned. And in those moments, a lot of people say and ask, where's God, Right? Why is he allowing this to happen? I thought this was going to be a good year. I thought he was going to bless me this year. So why is this happening? Where is he? Today, we're going to talk about God's purpose in the new year. I believe that our God is a God of purpose. I believe that he has a purpose for your life, that you're not here by accident, that you weren't born by chance. He designed us uniquely with eternity in our hearts. He designed us to seek after him. And even in our brokenness, and the problems, and the trials, and the the suffering of this life, God has a purpose. And the new year is a great time to remind yourself of that purpose. The new year is a great time for you to remember who you are. It's a great time to remember what God made you for. It's a great time to discover who God is. It's a great time to figure out what he wants to do in your life. So it's important for us to remember as we continue moving forward into this new year and this new season of life, that God loves us and has a plan for our lives. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're gonna be reading here today, but first I wanna read to you a passage from Romans chapter 13. And Paul says this, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. He says, love therefore is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11, he says, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. This is sort of the end of a passage where Paul is talking about living a life of love. And then he gives us some important instructions with a sense of urgency, all right? He says, besides this, since you know the time, Right here, Paul uses the Greek word kairos for time, okay? He's basically saying, besides this, you know the time, kairos. It is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep. It's already the hour. Paul uses another word here for this word hour. It's the word aura. It means literally hour. So he says, besides this, since you know the time, kairos, it is already the hour, aura, for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And the reason why I wanted to explain the words that Paul uses here is because there were several different words that he had to choose from, all right? He could have used the Greek word chronos, which is another word for time. Chronos is where we get our word chronology from. It's a measurement of time. It has to do with the clock. It's the timeline. If you asked how much time do those Hot Pockets need to cook, you would be using the word chronos, all right? But Paul did not use the word chronos to translate time in this verse. He used the word kairos. He says, besides this, since you know the time, he did not use the word chronos. He used the word kairos. And this word has to do with time From God's perspective, it's an appointed time. It's a time where God specifically chose for something to happen, for something to take place. It's a time for something in particular. It's very different than Kronos. Paul is essentially saying this time is now. It's an appointed time. It's a strategic moment. There's urgency And I believe that we're living in one of these Kairos moments today. It's an appointed time. It's a strategic moment in history. God is doing something right now. And it's important that we wake up. It's important that we become alert. It's important that we become aware that God is doing something. And this is the message that Paul is trying to get across in Romans chapter 13, that we need to wake up and participate in this kairos moment, this appointed time, because God is doing something and we don't wanna miss it. So we need to figure out what that purpose is for this year. So we're gonna take a look at this passage about purpose in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah lived in a time where the Israelites were captured and taken away. The residents of Jerusalem were taken away by a very mean king named King Nebuchadnezzar. We talk about him a lot to live in Babylon and they were there for 70 years. And this is information that we have to know in order to understand and interpret this passage correctly. So we're going to take a look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's start right at the beginning for context. Verse one says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. That is the context of Jeremiah chapter 29. And it is very important that we understand this context in order to interpret this verse correctly. Notice it says, this is the text of the letter that Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to who? To the people in exile, to the people in Babylon. In other words, this wasn't written to the New Testament church. This wasn't written to me in 2022, right? It was written specifically in a kairos moment, in an appointed time to the Israelites that were living in captivity in Babylon. We have to keep that in mind. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 10. This is what it says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I departed you. This is a very well-known passage of scripture. It's very popular, right? Verse 11 in particular, for I know the plans I have for you. The Lord says, plans for your well-being, not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. We put that on the wall, right? And it's a great verse. We send it to people. We say, hey, you're graduating high school. This is a verse for you. God's going to prosper you. We say, hey, you're going through a really difficult time in life. This verse is for you. God's going to prosper, prosper you. And then a few months go by and they're not being prospered. And they're starting to wonder, Where is God? I thought he was going to prosper me. I thought this was going to be a good year. I thought he had plans and they weren't going to harm me. I thought he was going to give me a future and a hope. I thought he was going to make my life better. The problem is we read verse 11 and we forget what verse 10 says. Verse 10 says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will do this. I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place, Notice right before God says, I'm going to prosper you, what does he say? He says, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. How many of you are thinking, I didn't sign up for that, right? I just want the prospering. I just want God to prosper me. God told the Israelites, all right, I'm going to do it. But first you're going to spend 70 years in captivity. You're going to spend 70 years in need. It's going to be a difficult 70 years. Are you still in? Well, I don't know about that, right? This isn't what I had planned. Now, I do believe that God wants you and I to prosper. It's probably just not in the way that most of us American Christians interpret prosperity. So I want us to talk about this passage because this is so much more than just a well-wish. This is a, a, a huge, deeply, deeply, filled with meaning passage, and it speaks to things that are so much deeper than just our present circumstances. It speaks to things that are so much deeper than just this next new year of life. This passage is about identity. It's about how God works. When we try to understand and interpret an Old Testament passage like this one, we have to remember that it was written to Israel for a specific season, all right? And a majority of the time, we can't just read it and apply it directly to our lives as if it was written for me right here, right now. There has to be a middle step in between the two. And the middle step is this. God said this to the Israelites then, all right? He showed them things about himself. He taught them things about life. God said this to the Israelites then. So what can I learn today about what he said to the Israelites then? Does that make sense? That's why context is crucial when studying scripture. What can I learn about God and about life today from what he said to the Israelites then? So let's try that with Jeremiah 29. What was God saying to the Israelites then? He was saying, you're going to be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years But I'm going to take care of you. I have plans for you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you a hope. I'm going to bring you back. And you're going to come home and you're going to enjoy a great life. I'm going to bless you and you're going to tell everyone what I've done for you. You're going to pray and I'm going to answer your prayers. What is God teaching the Israelites? I believe the Israelites have three big questions and God was answering them through the prophet Jeremiah. These are big questions that they desperately wanted answers for. And these are big questions that I think we desperately want answers for today. God was answering these questions through Jeremiah to the Israelites living in captivity, wondering, where is God? Why is he allowing this to happen to me? Why isn't he saving us? The first question they're asking is, who am I? Right? In this passage, God tells the Israelites, I'm not giving up on you. You're still my children. We still have a relationship. You're still my children and I'm still your God. He says, I'm going to bring you back home someday. And when you get here, we'll talk. You'll pray to me and I will listen to you. God is reminding the Israelites that nothing on earth is ever going to break or circumvent the relationship that they have with him. God says, this is who you are. You're my children. You are still Israel, even in Babylon. So how does this Old Testament principle translate over to the New Testament church? I made the decision years ago to trust Jesus and make him the Lord of my life. And the moment that I placed my faith and my trust in Jesus, I was adopted into God's family. And he'll never unadopt me. God will never disown me. God will never leave me or forsake me. The New Testament says over and over and over again that God is for us and that our identity should be wrapped up in our relationship with him. And this is crucial for us as believers because I think a lot of us look for our identity in the world around us. We look for our identity in our achievements. We look for our identity in our worldly success. We look for our identity in the way other people define us. But our identity as believers should be wrapped up in who Jesus is, in the relationship that we have with him. Because without a doubt, this is something the Israelites struggled with. They were removed from their homes. They were taken away from the place that they called home and they were placed in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. By every worldly definition, they were literally stripped of their identity. They're wondering, who are we? We're not in Israel anymore. We're in Babylon now. And we're not even here as regular citizens. We're here as captives. Their worldly identity was taken away from them, but God reminded them of who they were. He said, you're still my children. You're still Israel. I am still your God. And I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to give you a future and a hope. As Christians, our identity should be fully consumed and wrapped up with who Jesus is. And in the moments of our worst mistakes, in the moments of our worst rebellion, in all of our failures, and all of the pain of this life, and all of the suffering that we experience in every one of those moments, God says, you are mine. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're my child. That's who you are. Don't let your identity be mistaken, all right? Because I believe we suffer today from an identity crisis. And one of the reasons that we stay in repeating habits of addiction and brokenness is because we forget who we are and we forget whose we are. So don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. You're you're a person that God created to love. He created you in his image and he loves you. And if you don't know Jesus, I wanna encourage you to step into your full identity that God purchased for you with the life of his son so that you could come into the family of God and say, I'm his child, right? God answered the question, who are you? Here's the second question God answered for the Israelites. Why am I here? the Israelites are wondering, why are we here? Why are we in Babylon? What's the purpose of this? In the same way, we might wonder the same thing. Why am I here? Why am I on this planet? What's purpose is my life serving? Why did God create me? I believe the answer to that question is ultimately to know him and to make him known, right? Right? He tells the Israelites, even when you're in captivity, I'm still your God. And when you come back home, I'm still your God. And you can pray and I will answer you. Let's get to know each other. This is a recurring theme in the book of Jeremiah. God wants to know his people. Remember what Jeremiah said at the very beginning of his prophecy in verse 4. He said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Think about that. God says, before you were born, I knew you. He created you in your mother's womb from conception all the way to birth. He was shaping you into who you were going to be. He knows you and he wants you to know him. Why are you here? Listen, your purpose in life isn't to make a certain amount of money in order to matter. Your purpose in life isn't to to lead a certain number of people in order to matter. Your purpose in life isn't to achieve a certain number of things in order to matter. No, you are created by God and you are loved by God and you matter to God because he knows you and he wants you to know him. Your relationship with him is the most important thing in this life. In your mother's womb, he formed you, he shaped you, he knew you, all right? That leads us to the third question God answered to the Israelites. What is God doing in my life? Where is he taking me? How does this all make sense? Remember, the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon. It's going to be 70 years. It's a long time, all right? Look at what God tells the Israelites through the prophet Jeremiah when they're taken into captivity. 29 verse 5. He gives them some instructions. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. He says, multiply there. Do not decrease. And I love this in verse seven. He says, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pursue the well-being of Babylon. Babylon. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. He gives some instruction, simple things, for the Israelites living in captivity. He says, build houses, live in Babylon, plant gardens, eat the food, right? Find wives and have children. Find husbands and wives for your children. Multiply, pursue peace and well-being in Babylon. Pray for Babylon Because when Babylon thrives, you will thrive. What is he saying to the Israelites? He's saying, contribute to the well-being of the city of Babylon because you're going to be there for a while, right? That's what he's doing in their lives. He has them in captivity in an unfamiliar place. They're uncomfortable. They feel like they don't belong. They feel out of place. Babylon doesn't feel like home to them. They don't really know why they're there. But he says, hey, I've got a purpose for you. I'm refining you. I'm growing you. Be good citizens of Babylon. Pursue the well-being of Babylon. Pray on its behalf, because when Babylon thrives, you will thrive. And he says, and you're going to come back in 70 years, and it's going to be very different than it was before, but I'm working in your life even in the middle of all this. I'm working in your life in the middle of this 70-year period of captivity in Babylon for I know the plans I have for you, right? That's what the Lord says. He's prospering Israel. He's giving them a future and a hope. And I know that it's hard for us to see the situation that they were in and think, yeah, God's prospering them because we tend to think of prosperity very differently than what we would define it as biblically, right? We tend to think of prosperity probably in terms of, of money, right? We read verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, and we say, God's going to prosper me. He's going to make me rich. He's going to give me everything I want. And that's not what it means, right? God tells the Israelites that he has plans to prosper them, that he wanted them to flourish. And this was going to take some time. It wasn't going to happen right away. It was going to take 70 years of captivity in Babylon in order for the Israelites to be able to prosper and flourish. And our problem is we don't want to walk through captivity in order to experience prosperity. We just want it now, right? (laughs) We want it to be easy. We don't want to suffer. If God wants us to prosper, he should just prosper us now. Right? No work, no pain, just make it quick and easy. And yet God leaves us here on this planet where there's a lot of pain, right? Let's think about eternal life for a second. If you have everything you need and everything you want and everything you could ever dream of here on earth, why would you need heaven? Right? If this life was everything you wanted it to be, why would you need heaven? the eternity of redemption from this place, right? So I believe that God wants us to prosper. He wants us to flourish. And for some, it may be during this life on earth. You might live in prosperity for all of your life on earth. You might live in poverty for all of your life on earth. Neither one is more godly than the other, right? We have two extremes when it comes to this. We have a prosperity gospel on one end that says, if you really love Jesus, he's going to make you rich. And we have a poverty gospel on the other end that says, if you really love Jesus, you'll understand that money is bad and you'll be poor. And neither one of these extremes is biblical. But in the middle of that, there is a God who prospers us according to his purpose for our lives. And there may be a season where he says, I'm gonna give you more because I want you to invest in my kingdom. And there may be seasons where he says, I'm gonna take away because I want you to depend on me. God works differently in different lives, but no matter what, his plan for every single one of us with eternity in mind is for us to prosper, all right? So here's what I wanna challenge you with this morning. There are essentially three different approaches that you can take when it comes to the new year, this new season of life. And the first approach that you can take is a dangerous one and it's optimism, all right? Optimism says this is gonna be the best year of my life. Everything's gonna be great. I'm going to achieve the things that I've been trying to achieve. I'm gonna break the bad habits I've been trying to break. I'm gonna climb the ladder. I'm gonna make progress. I'm gonna meet all my goals. I'm gonna make it to the top. Everything's just gonna keep getting better and better and better. That's the optimistic approach. And the reason why this is dangerous Is because when you encounter a problem, your faith falls apart, right? "Ah, I thought this was going to be a great year. I thought this was going to be the year I finally got it done. I thought this was going to be the year I finally broke this habit. When you encounter a trial, when you encounter a struggle, optimism kills your faith, The second approach you can take, another dangerous one, is pessimism. This is the cynical approach to life, Right? Pessimism says, oh, I'm not capable of changing anyway. This is going to be another terrible year, repeat of last year. I shouldn't even bother trying to make it any better because it's just going to be bad anyway, right? And that's certainly not a godly perspective. So there's a third approach, and I want us all to commit to taking this third approach. It's not optimism. It's not pessimism. It's faith. And it seems obvious, but the difference between faith and optimism is faith says life is going to be hard sometimes, but God is always going to be good and faithful. Even when the trial comes, God is still good. Even when things don't go the way I thought they were going to go, God is still faithful. Even when things get difficult, even in the suffering, God is good, God is faithful. Life is going to be hard, but I'm looking forward to eternity. Here's what the faith approach believes. The faith approach believes that the best is yet to come, right? That we'll get through the hard times because the best is yet to come. That we'll get through the negativity because the best is yet to come. That we'll get through this captivity in Babylon, the Israelites would say, because the best is yet to come. The good news is this. If you follow Jesus... You will always have hope, whether you like it or not, right? And in those moments where you don't want to have hope anymore, where you want to give up that hope, where you want to give up on that dream, where you want to give up on that vision that God gave you, in those moments, you still have hope because you follow Jesus, right? Whether you like it or not, right? He's coming again. He's got heaven in his hands. And he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Let's pray together today. Father, we come to you. We're so thankful, Lord, for the plans that you have for our lives. We're so thankful for the purposes that you have for each and every one of us. And we thank you, Father, for the prophet Jeremiah. We thank you for the words that he spoke to the Israelites. God, and we pray that you would help us to carefully apply these words to our lives. We thank you that you're always good to us. We thank you that you're always faithful. We thank you that you do have plans to prosper us, plans to give us a future, plans to give us hope. And we pray that you would help us to take a faith-filled approach to this life. God, give us the kind of faith that is able to endure hardship because your word says that in this life, we will experience suffering, we will experience pain, So we wanna have the kind of faith that believes the best is yet to come. And we thank you for that hope that we have. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you're asking some of those big identity questions that we talked about, that the Israelites were wondering, who am I? Why am I here? What is God doing in my life? You can find the answers to every one of these questions in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. You can experience forgiveness and salvation in a relationship with him because God sent him to the world and he lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death on a cross and he was buried in a tomb, but he came out of it alive so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could know God, so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. So if that's you today and you wanna place your faith and your trust in Jesus, I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Church, let's make this our prayer together this morning. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I give you my life. Help me to trust you, follow you, and give it all to you this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a Connect card. Thanks again for joining us.